You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is for hunters by hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly. So when I need anything outdoors, I just log on to the Go Wild store, pick out what I need, and that's anything from hunting, fishing, camping, optics, outdoor wear, and yes, hound supplies. So when you make your next purchase at Go Wild, use our discount code HXP10 to go along with that free shipping. I'm proud to partner up with the Go Wild team. So let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild. We are back on the Wednesday episode, The Journey. And we've had, I've had a lot of questions on um, tracking part one and part two. And I felt like that it would be in everybody's interest if I could just kind of run over the method, the methodology, and some of the, um, the ways that Lewis and Miguel, Miguel mainly, Lewis was translating. So we have got a familiar voice and face. And I mean, he's big timing on these podcasts. I, I seen a, a rerun the other day that you were back on. But we have got Mark Dufresne back on with us from Maine. And Mark and I were actually chatting back and forth about um, kind of what we was thinking, our philosophies. And I'm like, hey, let's just get on here and let's talk about it and go over it so everybody understands exactly what's going on. And we can just bring it down to, to layman's terms because, you know, sometimes when we, you know, definitely in different languages and you're in def- different methodologies, you have to understand it to really put it into practice. So, Mark, 
I appreciate you being on this evening. I know it's late and taking time away from your shop. How's everything up in the Northwoods? Oh, we're doing good. It's been raining for about three weeks up here, <laughs> yes. but uh, it's about 42 degrees this morning, <clears throat> so it's pretty nice. Yeah, so yesterday, first day of summer, and the high was 62. <laughs> and it, you're right, it has rained here for four or five days now and I can't get I can't even get out and fish like I can't do anything um, I've been in the house or at work and <coughs> work was a nasty mess the last couple of days but yeah the rain I'm about over it I know we need it but it's good for well, we're good thing about it, the, uh, the berry crop looks like a bumper crop the uh, beech nuts are coming in the oak so I guess the rain's good in that respect yeah, if it's if it's bringing the berries along, y'all need that, right? Oh yeah, we gotta have some air food. There. Yeah, that's right. They gotta have something to snack on. <laughs> so, yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna go and run over the um, the method that Miguel is using. Um, and like I said, Mark and I have kind of chatted back and forth and was just kind of you know hitting some of the high points. But um, guys, it's very simple. And I, I mean, it is for me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm training dogs in the law enforcement world and he's taken one of the, the, the principles that, that we use, which is classical conditioning. And that's basically how he's setting this whole process up. So, um, I just talk about classical conditioning real quick. So it's Pavlov. He rings the bell, he feeds the dog, rings the bell, feeds the dog. And then soon when he rings the bell, the dog starts salivating because they know the food is coming, that reward's coming. So he's already pre-programmed the dog, right? So with the scent, and we're going to go down a couple rabbit holes here because I've got a lot of different questions that's come in and I'm going to try to hit them all. Um, the scent doesn't matter. Unless you're putting deer scent down and you want to run bear you're probably, you know, causing a problem that you're going to have to fix. But <clears throat> the scent doesn't matter. Miguel was using basically, when I say toilet water, he was using clean toilet water, but he was using a water that is not, it's like no other odor. So the purpose of the scent, regardless of what it is, is just to teach the dog to trail, put his nose down and go from point A to point B to his food source. Um, so I had some questions about synthetic. How about this odor? How about that odor? Uh, guys, odor's odor. Uh, if long as you're using an odor and I'm using right now, I'm using, um, bear, I'm just using some bear scent. I can't find exactly what I want. Um, but I'm using a generic bear scent and that's what I'm using. And if you want to get some technical about it, we can talk about the detection side um, with when I'm doing narcotics. So we'll just talk about a narcotic odor, and I won't tell you which one, but uh, they have properties. So one of the odors that I use has 17 properties in it, okay? So it's been tested scientifically that if the dog, if the, there's 13 properties in this odor, the dog recognizes that odor. If it gets down below 11, the dogs are not able to determine that that's an odor that they've been trained on, if that makes sense. So as long as there's 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 properties, the dog recognizes that as an illegal narcotic. 
So the same thing with these odors. As long as it's got enough properties in it, it doesn't matter what kind of odor bear scent you're using. I mean, I don't know that I'd use bear urine, but, you know, I've, I've been on the internet. I've been looking back and forth. Um, I've been looking at different um, scents. So I'm just using something that is supposed to smell like bear scent. Supposed to. I don't know if it does or doesn't. I can't smell like a dog, so I don't know. So that's what I'm doing. Odor is odor. Just use something that the dog recognizes with the food source. Mark, you want to add anything to that before I go on? I know I was rambling there a little bit. No, that's fine. I just, you know, my biggest thing was I, I think Miguel's method is excellent. I just think people are getting drowned and complicating it more than it really needs to be. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it could be something like a men's cologne because we're not man tracking. Mm -hmm. So we're out in the woods. You're not, the dog is not going to encounter a man's cologne anywhere. So you could, you could condition them puppies with the same thing as, as a perfume or a man's cologne, or it could be any smell. It doesn't have to be like you say, I wouldn't use maybe a coyote or a deer because <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, that could cause us issues, but it's, it's just break it down to the simplicity of you're getting the puppy, you're conditioning him to want to trail that to the end result. Yes. And that's, that's the simple part. Yeah. And it, I think Miguel even brought up the clone. He even said something about the perfume. So, um, and, and in the civilian world, and I know we're talking about hunting, but I'm just kind of trying to paint a picture for you. Um, like, in the law enforcement side, I can't certify civilians to do detection work because they're not, they're not, they don't have arrest powers. They're not working for an agency. Now, in the private sector, they'll use birch or they'll use some type of odor that they're not going to be coming in contact with, kind of like what you're saying, perfume. Um, they use those odors to start the dog in the detection side, and then they'll put them on the odors. Um, and you have a lot of private contractors that do explosives, so they can use one of the 45,000 odors that we use for explosives. Um, but that's just kind of give you a picture of, of what it is. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to worksowell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. You like to be outside like I do, hunting, fishing, hiking. If so, Onyx is the app for you. I've been a loyal Onyx user for years. It's the one app that I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, bedding areas, feeding areas, and the list goes on. In my travels, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I am blessed to hunt. Last year while hiking Yellowstone, I used Onyx to map out the trails and know the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. 
I mark all of my favorite fishing spots on Onyx. It's been a game changer for me at work. I've used it multiple times to get in touch with property owners. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it in your everyday life. It is, by far, the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's approved by yours truly at Houndsman XP. So when you go to subscribe to Onyx, use our code HXP20 and get you a discount. So get your journey started with Onyx and know where you stand. So the first step in this process. Now, Miguel goes all the way back to when he's whelping the puppies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the first feeding. Okay, so I'm going to skip one of the steps that he has because not everybody is raising pups like you and I, Mark. Not, you know, um, <clears throat> that my next litter... I've kind of been contemplating on, you know, do I want to start it at three weeks old or am I going to go ahead and wait to the first first hard hard food that I feed them? Um, and I've decided that I'm going to wait to the first hard food. Um, Miguel's fighting a genetic issue that you and I are not. Our dogs are programmed to chase game, tree, bay, catch. Um, he's programming a dog to chase man. And they don't get as excited about that because genetically they're not programmed to do exactly that. Right. <clears throat> so, first step of the process. First feeding, or even if you get, in fact, I've got a five-month-old pup that I got when she was nine, nine weeks old, ten weeks old. And I've started her, so I started a little bit later. So, you can apply this at any point in time. So, the first feeding is take some type of object and we can go through the whole gamut of things i'm going to give you a very simple very simple one is take you a sterile sterile towel um in the detection world we had when we was using towels for toys um we had to sterilize them so what we would do is take and put the towel in the washer with no detergent nothing cold water two cycles and we didn't even dry it. We hung it out and let it dry on its own. So that's, I can tell you from the law enforcement side, that works well if you want to do that. So take a towel, and I suggest to use a squirt bottle, a sprayer, okay? That way you're not just dripping it, dripping it, dripping it on there. You're just, you're misting it, just, just mist. Um, I put two or three squirts just, you know, on the towel. I put the food bowl down. And I put the towel around the food bowl. So when they come up to the food bowl, the towel's there, the odor's coming off of it. Food means odor. So food and odor. I'm eating, and every time I inhale, I'm getting that odor. Every time I inhale, I'm getting that odor. And then that odor becomes common to them. And it's a positive association because they're also getting fed with it. So we're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. Miguel uses um, a bell, and he rings the bell, and the dogs come to the food. So he's doing the same thing as in the, the, the Pablo, in the classical conditioning. Well, because I'm not going to have a bell on me at all points in time, I'm using a whistle. I'm just whistling. And I do a high-pitched whistle, and I started 
doing that with with the the younger puppies. They're actually twelve week twelve. They're three months old now, and I didn't start them until they were probably six weeks. Yeah, they were probably six weeks old, maybe maybe seven before I started them, <clears throat> because I hadn't got all the process done and everything. So here it is in simple. This is the first step. Whistle, bell, drums, shotgun, I don't care what you use. Something's got to be there to trigger the dogs to the food. The food has to have odor source with it. Not, not, don't put the odor source in the food. Don't squirt, don't squirt the odor on your food, okay? Let's just not do that. But use something to hold odor, um... Uh, and there's a there's a ton of things. You're, there's food bowls that have the outside rims that you can put the food in, and they've got a place in the middle for water. You could put something in there. There's all kinds of different things if you want to do it. I would think it'd be just pretty simple to put a hand towel underneath that has mm-hmm. the scent on it. Yep, and that and that's exactly exactly what I did, Mark. Um, <clears throat> so simple: odor, food, bell, whistle some type of noise like i said when when i whistle my dogs i don't care where they're at they're coming to knocking your feet out from underneath you and you're also working on your recall too whether you know it or not <laughs> because food whistle dogs coming they're they're going to associate that all through their life so that's how we start the process i've had then the next question was well how long do i do this well I can't honestly answer that question because dogs are not cookie cutters. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you've got an individual dog that's a little lazy, it may take a little longer. If you've got a dog that's highly motivated and driven, it may take three or four, five. Um, basically I done this for probably seven to 10 days and I didn't write it down. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. But seven to ten days is where I would be at. Um, so that's called the imprinting process. I'm imprinting odor to the dogs through a positive association, food. Um, so am I am I making that clear, Mark, where everybody can understand yeah. that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You're just trying to get that scent, get them familiar with the, the food and the smell um and and i think most dogs within two weeks are gonna mm-hmm. you know eight to ten week old puppies are probably gonna pick up on that very quickly yeah yeah i like i said i did seven to ten days and i can't tell you exactly but it it was no more than ten okay so the next process is you have to have the and again i'm kind of going against my own beliefs here because I don't believe in dragging stuff. That's not natural. You heard the podcast that I did with Mike Leonard. Um, you, when you drag an item, you are crushing the vegetation and you're putting a wide, and I don't care if it's six inches wide or a foot wide, whatever you're dragging, you're, you're dra- dragging a process that, the do- that is not natural. That's not a natural track. So everybody understand that I'm, I'm not a fan of it, but I'm working on a different uh, way to do that. I just haven't got to it quite yet. Do you have any ideas on that, Mark? 
Well, I was just wondering, and, and I haven't experimented with this yet, but as simple as um, using that spray bottle that has your scent and sort of spritzing just a, a little bit of a trail, like not hosing it down, but I like the idea of the scent in the air, landing on vegetation, landing on different surfaces, um, because they're going to interpret that differently, you know, when they smell. So I, I would think you could do that. I don't see why that wouldn't work. Just spritzing a little bit of a trail to, to your reward, to your food. So, and here was my thought process. So let's, let's just, let's just dive into it. Um, the bottle that I got is, a, is I've got four ounce bottle, which is, I mean, it's not very big. It's, um, probably the two four inches tall and inch and a quarter around or something. Yeah. I mean, it's as big as two medicine bottles put together. Like really, that's what it, it's a size. So I feel like when you start this process, you're going 10 yards. I mean, that's it, 10 yards. I feel like exactly what you're saying is way more beneficial. But now that I'm up to three and 400 yards, yep. um, I, in my mind, this is just my thought process, I'm going to run out of that stuff if I'm, and then I'm waiting, right. you know. So that was why I reverted back to the drag um, at this point, but I'm in the process and I'll just tell you guys what I'm doing. Um, Lewis actually has a patented remote control car that has a food bowl, food tray attached to the top. And it's got the water, um, jug on the back with a tube coming through a filter that will actually release the the odor in um increments where it's not drowning it um and like i said lewis has patented that it's a phenomenal looking little tool um so i'm i'm working on getting one of those um like i said i have to get it from him and i've got to go through the shipping and everything so anyway that's that's what i'm working on um with that so right now i'm using the drag um i've got two different drags that i'm using uh I don't know who taught me this, and I don't remember even when it was, but it's been a long time ago because my blue dog, my Cameron dogs were pups. And so Belle would have been 12 in 2000. She was born in 2000, so it's been 20 years ago. But I use the canvas dummy that you, the duck dog guys shoot out of the tube to re- I use the duck dummy. That I guess that's what they're called. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so, launcher. Yeah. yeah. So I've got one of those, and it's the it's a little bit bigger one. It's probably 10, 10 inches long and yep. th- three inches maybe, two yep. and a half three inches thick or round. And I also have a an old piece of bear hide that's in a foot by foot square that I had had in the freezer. So I actually cut a hole in it, notched it, um, scraped it off, kind of like I tanned it. And I've been using that for the smaller puppies. And that's just something I had. It's something I'm using. Um, So that's what I'm using at this point in time. So that's just some ideas. You can use the towel. The towel would be fine. (laughs) Um, So the first step, we've imprinted the odor. Now the second step is now I need to 
get the dogs from point A to point B. I need to, to start them on the odor. And if you've watched any of Miguel, if you follow him on Facebook, um, if you watch any of his videos, he rings the bell while he's standing at the beginning of the track. Rings the bell, the dogs come, the bell means food, so they automatically start looking for food, and then they pick up the scent, and they just waddle their little butts right over, and they find the food, and they they um, eat. <clears throat> so you start that process out very small, very simple. The other thing I think to add there is uh, I think you want to keep it a situation where the puppies are going to win, where they're going to find it to start with. So don't do it on a windy day. Don't do it pouring rain. You know, pick a perfect day, nice and calm. Um, you know, that's just put the situation so that the puppies are going to find it and and let them win like that to start with. Yes, and yeah, and yeah, don't do it at twelve o'clock in the middle of summer when the sun's overhead. It's you know you're making it you're making it um, unreasonable. <laughs> Um, and that you, stuff that comes later, you just, when you're starting this process, keep it very simple. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I picked up from him, and I'm, I'm actually going to change some of my methods when I'm training on the law enforcement side with this. Uh, and I know my handlers do this a lot, man. They want to help those dogs. They want to help them. We've talked about it on this podcast several times about self-discovery it's okay if the dog fails. That's how he learns. That's how we learn. Um, that you can't walk the dogs on the track. You can't assist them with the track. If they don't find it within a reasonable amount of time, you put them up, you pick it up, and then you do it again, and you do it five yards. And you start, you know, you back down, you down, you back it down where, like Mark just said, they can be successful. Um I have not had to, I've had a couple of unsuccessful tracks so far on my pup, my young pups. Um, but when I give them the next opportunity, uh, they went and, and actually was kind of amazing to watch them work. Um, so you start off easy, make it simple. Um, put the food maybe just out of sight. Don't lay it out in the middle of your driveway and lay the track, you know, cause they're going to run to the food bowl, you know, just, you know, I'll hide mine behind the tree or, you know, I'll put it in some high grass, just something simple, um, that they can find it and start off very small. You know, you can't expect a eight week old puppy to be trailing 400 yards you know, in 80 degree weather with 90 degree, with 90% humidity. It's just not happening. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, <clears throat> you know, and humidity is a big one. I wouldn't even personally, I wouldn't even mess with scent on a super humid day. I'd do it early in the morning when the mm -hmm. humidity is low or pick, pick your days because uh, humidity really affects the scent with dogs and it's going to be hard for those pups. But another thing um, that I just wanted to point out, you mentioned, that I think is really important is Miguel uses the bell mm -hmm. and for you, it would be your whistle, but you do it standing at the start of the track. Not, I don't want somebody to go put the food dish down and go stand by the food dish and then whistle because all you're teaching them to do is come to you. You know, you have to do it at the start of that track where they'll find the scent and then they'll start to explore. Yeah. And again, 
no assistance. No assistance. I'm not I'm not walking the edge of the track. I'm not sicking them on the track. I do I did point. When I first started, I would whistle and point to the ground. And there's maybe there's a little bit of a process here that I should tell you that maybe I maybe it's important, maybe it's not. But you guys have seen some of my videos or if you've seen some of my stories, um, I like to take a handful of food and spread it out, just kind of whiz, throw it out in the grass, and the dogs will search for it. Um, I also done that with these pups, um, and I do it with all pups. It's not nothing I haven't, you know, I haven't done. Um, but I, I've I've done that, and I do exactly what Mark just said. I whistle, they see my hand, I throw it out, and they sit there and work it and work it and work it. And I also I'm kind of testing my dog. I kind of give you a little. Um, tip that i do i like to see the dogs that are more determined like i can watch those puppies and the ones that stay and stay and stay and stay they're the ones that are either super hard-headed when they grow up you will see this or they're the ones that's not going to quit um and you'll see the ones that go over and get two or three pieces of food and then they just run off like it's it's a it's like a testing thing and i don't I don't use it solely for that, but I like to watch and see. Yeah, I think that's important is um, <clears throat> some dogs just have more drive and and pay attention mm-hmm. to that. I, I always watch puppies and the one that <clears throat> won't let it go, you know, keeps going back. And, and he may go play 10 minutes and then all of a sudden you see him and he comes back or she comes back. That's the one that interests me. And, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that will figure it out the quickest and some of them are going to be slower some of them are going to be hard-headed and just want to go play but eventually they're going to get hungry and they're going to get serious to find that mm-hmm. yep <clears throat> so that's the that's basically the process now we got to get into some common sense stuff because i feel like sometimes if you don't spell it out maybe people uh, don't quite understand or maybe they they didn't get it but don't overdo this um one of my buddies asked me the other day, well, he's like, are you doing this twice a day, three times a day? You know, what are you doing? And cause he, I've been showing him videos of my pups and you know, I'm like, you know, if I'm off in the evenings and I'm like Mark, like I like to do it in the mornings. That's my favorite time. Cause there's a little dew on and the trailing conditions are a little bit better. Um, especially starting out i want to make it easy so i want to give them every opportunity to be successful so i've been using the mornings more so now i have done evenings but the mornings are when i like to do it so um i do it once a day there's been some days i've done it twice a day but if i do it twice a day um i'm not gonna say i make it easier but i make it where they're there's maybe an obstacle. Um, I've, I've added, um, surface changes into mine. I went from grass to gravel. I've done some fence crossings where they've got to go through the fence. I've added some little things like that. So I'll shorten the track up and put an obstacle for them. Um, sure. Just dry leaves mm-hmm. from, from grass into the woods, into dry leaves. That's <clears throat> a, that's a change. Yes. And you will see these, I mean, you will see them like, I mean, just, and this is my favorite part about dogs is watching them grow. But, um, yeah, so sometimes I do it twice a day. Sometimes I do it once a day. You know, the last couple of days I've been working, I haven't got to do it any. 
Um, and I, and this is one thing that I, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. Mark, get, I'll get your input on it. Cause I, I'm not sure how to do this, but this is what I'm doing. So last two days I've worked. So I don't get to do it in the mornings cause I leave the, before daylight and I get home, you know, just enough time to feed and it's dark. So the only thing that I'm doing with the pups then is the same. I'm not, I'm not putting odor with the food. They know odor now. I can tell you that. I just whistle. That's all I do. You know, I do my, my whistle that I feed them and that's it. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I haven't followed up with Miguel to see, um, if that's the, the right process or not, but I've taken the odor away. The only time they're getting odor now is when they're trailing to the food. Um, and I've done it enough both ways where they're trailing to the food and they're just eating with the whistle. And I've not seen out of this, this bunch of pups, I've not seen any, any different effects. So, yeah. One thing I think, um, that we have to remember is Miguel is he has to employ a lot of different processes because mm -hmm. he's trying to do an unnatural behavior for those dogs by tracking a human being. Whereas our dogs, you know, they're already gamey. They're already everything we're working with. They want to trail an animal. So it, I think it takes a lot less effort for us to get those dogs to trail doing what we're doing than it may Miguel. So I, I think that would probably be fine. Once they learn that association with the scent, then they know that's, that's imprinted on them. I don't know how long or how often you have to do that to keep that. Um, whether it's a once a week thing or, you know, I don't think you have to do it every time they eat. Uh, I don't know on that. So, and it's, it's funny that you bring that up because BB and I had a conversation last week. Yeah. Last week, how much is too much? Um, you know, my pups, like I said, they're, they just turned three months old and the other one just turned five months old. So I've got four pups total. Um, and like I said, I'm not wearing them out. I'm not doing it every day. Sometimes it's every other, sometimes it's every couple. And then if I'm off, I may do it two days in a row. And if they did really good with it, I may do two times a day for those two days. So I don't want to, I don't want to wear them out with it. I guess here's the biggest thing that I learned this training labs. And if, if you overdo it with the retrieving when they're young, you can almost make them just totally lose interest in it. Mm -hmm. So just look at, look at their actions. Are they eager? Are they engaged in the process or are they, running around just playing and and each one's different if one is really into it maybe give him a little bit more and if another puppy is just totally losing interest then back it down a little bit um but i i think you have to read each individual uh everyone is different and and some pups mature quicker and and some mature much later um another question i had and i wanted your opinion on this uh was if Okay, so for most houndsmen, we have multiple dogs in the yard. Um, when you're doing these initial trails, are you doing it 
right around the dog yard where there's distractions, you know, because typical thing is puppies will come out and play. And of course the big dogs all get barking and all the puppies want to do is run over to the barking dogs. That's it's imprinted in them pack mentality. That's, that's part of them. So I always have that. I always get mad. You know, I sit here trying to train at home and I, I always tell myself, I should go someplace a little quieter. You know, uh, what are your thoughts on doing it where there's a lot of distractions with the other dogs? That's a great question, Mark, because I probably wouldn't have, you know, probably would have forgot, wouldn't have touched that. But my puppy puppy, the three months old, um, I'm doing it in my yard, but I do it away from the other dogs. Right. Now, the five-month-old puppy, last week, you know, weekend before last, I ran her right through the middle yep. of the dog lot. Um, and... She didn't miss a beat, but her maturity level was a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, that would be my advice to the guys doing this is, you know, you start out, make sure the foundation's solid, and then you can start adding those distractions. Um, like I said, I've started adding um, some environmental changes, the grass, the gravel, the fences, um, sharp turns, like, and, that, and that's another thing I need to, I guess we should back up. These first week, two weeks of track should be straight. They don't yep. need they don't need to be, oh well, let me see if I can, you know, get away from the dog type of thing. Run a zigzag pattern, yeah. figure eight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like no, it's straight, straight. Just make it as straight as you can. Um and I have started adding well, I've added it to all of them. I've added one, two, three, four, five. I'm up to six turns. And when I say turns, um, the five-month-old is getting some pretty hard, sharp 90s and 180s. Um, the puppies are getting like a 45-degree. Yeah, yeah, the 45-degree yeah. turn so yeah. they can float into it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you, you just got to use some sense. And, yeah, I, for me, the, like I said, my, my three-months-old have not been in, and they've not been out in front of the dogs yet. Um, the five-month-old, Sash, she has. Like I said, I run her right around the back of the pen um, right down the side of them and then right down through the front yard, right out through the horses. I mean, I've, yeah, I've started adding those to her, but now okay. she's very mature for her age. I mean, for a five month old puppy, just turning five month old, like she acts like a, an old dog, but it's like you just said, you know, all dogs are different. Like they're not cookie yeah. cutter. They're not made out of the same mold. No, out of the same litter. I have seen some <laughs> pups that, you could put on a bear at six or seven months old. And then I've seen other dogs that you really didn't want to put them on until they were close to a year old. Yep. Um, it's, it's a maturity level. It's a, how serious are they? That's why I say just always judge each puppy and, and look at their interest level and what they're doing. Keep it fun. If you, if you force it on them and you overdo it, you're just, you're going to be going mm -hmm. backwards is all you're going to be doing. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you're making a really valid point there. And even, again, I, I revert this back to my law enforcement stuff. When I see that a dog is not performing or not um, interested, I don't get mad. I don't panic. I just put the dog up. Yep. Let him mature. Yep. And, and, and the hardest thing for us to do dogs are so in tune with our emotions <laughs> and I 
Christmas when I trained my first lab with a whistle. And when I wanted them to come and I was angry and they wouldn't come. And all of a sudden I got this whistle in my hand and I trained the dog to come to the whistle. Now, even if I'm mad, I blow that whistle. That dog comes on a dime, sits right beside me. So sometimes our displeasure in a puppy's performance Mm -hmm. can really harm them mentally. They get mixed signals. They don't know what you're looking for. So just try to stay calm and just put the puppy up. It's the best thing you can do and walk away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, and they mature differently. Like, you know, I I can take a Mally in my group and do whatever I want to with it, usually by 10 months old. And then I can take a Shepherd, depending on the breeding and where it came from, it may be 18 months to two years old before I get that that um, drive out of it. That I, He's got the drive, but the, let's see, the confidence. That's the word I'm looking for, the confidence. Um and then you you know you look at the pointers and the the labs that we're using i mean you can do most time at a younger age you can do whatever it's a lot of puppy in them but anyway yeah dogs mature differently don't fret it don't fret it if it if it doesn't do what it's supposed to put it up give it a couple weeks bring it back out don't do it put it up give it a couple weeks bring it back out and then as it gets older you'll have to make that decision which is completely yours but um and Mark, I know we got a lot of other stuff we want to talk about. So let me just recap this real quick. It's very simple. Uh, odor, you imprint the odor by putting odor on an object with the food, not on the food itself. Don't put the odor down on the food. You do that for, like you said, seven, seven to 10, 12 days is probably going to be a plenty. Short, short track, I mean 10 yards to whatever and pair it with a noise pair it with a you hollering for the dogs or whistling or clanking whatever you want to do pair it with a noise that way you trigger that dog to the food um short tracks and then go from there don't overdo it don't don't do it five times a day because it looks cool like don't i mean just it's you're going to mark said it you're going to wear them out you're going to burn them out and they're not going to be interested um, and then you can add accordingly. Like I said, I've got my, my three month old pups. I've got them running a good hundred plus yards tracking. And I'm an hour old. They're in an hour old. I've not went over an hour with them. And what Mark's saying with humidity, um, the other day, and I'm writing all this stuff down, it was 70 degrees. A front was coming in. 88% humidity. Uh, the track was right at, it was 58 minutes, right at an hour. And they struck, like they hit parts of it and done really good. And then they would slow down and then they'd hit parts of it and they done really good. Um, so it's, it's nice to watch that. And then Sass, the five month old pup. I mean, I've got her up. She's in an hour and five minutes and I mean, I've got her up to a couple hundred yards with distractions. Like I said, I run her through the horse field with the horses, uh, fences, putting her through. You know, she's got to go up under. We've got a board fence out here, so we're putting her through that. Um, I'll go up the driveway with it some just to throw that off. And I'm actually, I'm not using the hide with her. I'm using the the duck dummy. 
Um, and I've noticed when I switched from the hide to the, the dummy, it changed her completely. And like, like we talked about the, the, a foot footprint to yep. a three inch footprint's a lot different and it slowed oh, her yeah. down. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, you know, I want people to be aware <clears throat> of is that scent that you're imprinting the dogs on. Say if you used a perfume or a cologne, you're not using that straight out of the bottle. You're putting a drip or two of that into mm -hmm. water so that it's very, very diluted and don't overdo too strong of a scent. I mean, you want it there, um, very recognizable, but, but you don't want to have such a footprint of odor that, uh, you know, a St. Bernard could stumble across it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could always water it down, you know, dilute yeah. it. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that. I mean, I mean, Mark, could you think of anything we left out before we move no, on? The big thing that you mentioned earlier is just you have to be, and Miguel was big on this, and I agree, is you have to be willing to accept, accept failure, 100% failure. You're going to watch those puppies when they start on that track, and they're going to go left, and they're going to be three feet to the left, and, and you're going to want to run over there and call them over back to the track, but just let them find it on their own, and in doing that, they're going to gain confidence on that track and they'll get better and better every time out. So just be willing to accept that failure um, and just keep it simple for them. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, if, if they fail, just pick it up and give them, give them an hour or do another track. that's a little bit easier, different location. And, and that's something I'm running into here is I've about used all my yard up. Like I've, I've laid so many tracks that, you know, they kind of know now, so I'm having to move over to the field where the horses are, and, and you know, I, I, I'm i running out of space, so that's something else, too. Um, and I wanted to say this real quick. The five-month-old, so I'm working on her also, where I'm not doing this every day with her. We're working on changing heights, leveling up. I'm putting her on table so she can get in a truck, so I'm, I'm doing my process that, so I'm still using the food for that. I'm still using the food to train her, um, and she's working for the food. Uh, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I don't know if, if Miguel would condone that or say no, no, no. Um, but that's what I'm doing, and again, I'm not seeing any difference in her performance when she is actually trailing, tracking, whatever you want to call it. Like I said, we're, we're an hour track with, with her, and I'm... And I'm pleased. I'm pleased with that. I've never had a pup out of the four that has done this. But at the same same time, I've never done this with one of my pups. Well, and, and that's that's the beauty of it is, um, you know, yes, this takes time. But to make a good trail dog takes time. <clears throat> you know, everybody that that trail dog is coveted and talked about in circles mm. and hunting circles. So if you want it, you got to work for it. And why not put that time in and, and out of those, you know, so, so this is another thing that I think would benefit houndsmen is typically when we have a litter of puppies, we have eight puppies, say six or eight puppies, we can't keep maybe just one or two, you know, maybe we keep them to three or four months old. So if you've done this imprinting with the odor and there's one dog that is absolutely tearing it up and, and he's taking tracks twice as good as everybody else well guess what that's going to be the one you pick 
So it can really benefit you picking your puppy, I think, because you're going to set yourself up for a little bit more success in getting that trail dog. And you can do that at such a young age. Miguel's doing it right as, Mm -hmm. you know, as they're born. Uh, But certainly at eight weeks old, six or eight weeks old, you can, you can start doing it. So by the time most of us are getting rid of some of those pups and making room, we already have a pretty informed decision on which pup we like or which pup looks like it's going to trail better than the others, you know, and we can narrow that down. Yeah. And I want to go, I want to hit on two things you just said there. Um, So the first one is I want to tell you guys about, uh, we're talking about trail dogs. And for me, um, that's what got me into hounds, like the trailing part of it. And I don't have dogs that trail like I used to. And I, I mean, I'll just admit I don't. Um, I let some of my older stuff go and trying to rebuild. And I, do, I just don't have the dogs that get down and, and grub like I used to have. In the, same, in the same sentence, I need to make that clear that we've got 10 times more bear than, than we had then. <laughs> so it's a difference. But so I've got three two-year-olds. Um through their first two years of life, I have kept a very, very um, tight hand on them. So what I mean is I've been very particular about when I cut them loose, making sure I put them in bear tracks. Um, I've been very cautious with them. Just as that's, that's the only thing to say is I've been very cautious with them. I've not given them a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. So while I was down in North Carolina couple weeks ago, month ago, however long it's been, I was trying to start tracks with those dogs. And I got very disappointed in my, in, in it, um, and aggravated because these dogs catch bear. Like you see a bear across the road, it's caught. They, they own it. Um, a bear come through there, they're on it. But what I come to self-discover and realize with myself so that that litter is the first litter out of spook and the a litter which is a year old now i had those pups with me well last year i let those pups run loose when i was hunting when i took them and they were out running everything attica y'all heard me say attica run three or four deer the day Bryce and I was hunting and then she went in there and struck a bear. Didn't even know what a bear was and struck it. Um, and Axe, uh, you know, I've said it, you turn him loose long enough, he's going to be running something. And reality kind of hit me down there and BB and I had this conversation eating supper one evening is like, I've messed those dogs up. I don't think it's not fixable, but I've really hampered the learning curve for them by keeping a tight handle on them and not giving them opportunities to run junk and to run stuff that they shouldn't and have freedom. So I've been overly protective. And then I've got these two younger dogs that you can see a world of difference in them. I mean, it's like, holy crap, man. Like, I mean, it's smack in the face to me. So I've got some two-year-old dogs that'll be three at the first of the year. And they're two, so they're, they're almost two, they're two and a half, however you want to say it, that run bear, catch bear, do, do a really good job, but I can't get them to start the bear. 
and we can't start the bear, you can't catch it, right? Right. And reality set in, and I realized that it's not what we want, and it's not for me. I don't like my dogs out running junk and doing whatever. But at the same sense, I realized that I've really um, set them back in the trailing aspect, and trailing is what I want. Right. And, you know, one thing to point out is um, I, I feel that <laughs> I am very careful about the bear that I put the dog on. But as far as the situation for the dog to run trash or to screw up, I throw them right into that is I'll drop them at a bait, you know, at a bait site, there's been everything under the sun coming in there. There's mice, there's uh, things hunting the mice. There's, there's birds, there's ravens, there's fishers, there's coyotes, there's bears. So they have ample opportunity to screw up. And, and I think they, they gain that confidence um, but I'm still going to be careful about the bear that I put them on, mm -hmm. but I'm going to let them fail and I'm going to give them the opportunity to fail on, on trailing or running trash. It's that's what they call training season. You yeah. Know? That's, that's what it's for. Yep. Well, like I said, it, um, it kind of, like I said, it kind of smacked me in the face. I'm like, man, you know, I expect so much more out of them. And when I took the old dogs away, because that's what I did, I, I, I've not hunted my older dogs. And when I say old dogs, my four-year-olds, I've taken them out of the picture. And, you know, Attica, which is the, the younger pup, um, I see a lot of potential in her. Um, we'll, we'll see if she puts it all together. But she's got a, a, a loose mouth in a good way. When she smells odor, she opens um she's not a babbler so when i say loose mouth i meant that's what i mean triggers her yes it's, it's, she's got an easy trigger on yeah her. yeah she's not a babbler uh but she hasn't she hasn't put the start to finish together she starts and then if you put too many dogs and stuff in or something confuses her uh she gets messed up and then you know like bb's midnight dog you know she straightened a couple tracks out and done a really good job and you know, Attica, Attica and Hart got back in there with her one day, and they treated a bear. And the next day, nobody got back with her. And she ended up getting the bear caught, and, you know, we went in and put some dogs with her, and they treated it. So I see some potential there, but I also have a lot of disappointment. And I'm not disappointed in the dogs. I'm disappointed in myself because it was me that created that that um, delay. Yeah, we're all going to make mistakes. The important thing <laughs> is is try to learn from them and and be honest with yourself just like you were i mean a lot of people don't want to be honest with themselves and say man maybe i'm screwing this up but uh we i believe we screw up the training of most dogs more than the dogs do themselves um just the, the things that we do and the you know following the kind of the old standards that everybody for instance and i don't know if i'm jumping ahead here but um, kind of leads into this is, you know, everybody wants to start their dog. You take it to a tree and there's mm -hmm. a bear in a tree. Okay. We're going to let that puppy see the bear. We're going to get it to yo-yo up and down. And then boy, it jumps out of the tree and off it goes. And what does it do? Nine times out of 10, it runs 50 yards, comes Come back, back to the tree and then jumps up and down on the tree. So, you know, we're doing a lot of things backwards or the old critter in a cage, mm -hmm. um, you know, where we're throwing that, sight right out there well all they want to do is is have that 
tussle, that fight. And and they don't have the love of the scent. What Miguel's trying to do is create that love of the scent to want to trail at a young age, and then the rest will come later. And that's that comes with the um, keeping the food out of sight when you lay that trail. Don't don't put it right out there in the middle of the driveway where the duck puppy can go straight to the dish. Put it in some tall grass or or around maybe just out of sight. So don't give them that visual reward right away. Let them work for it and learn to trail. Yeah, and, and yeah, I do want to um, follow up on that, Mark, because that was one of the, the conversations you were having is about the site. Um, and you and I talked about this right before we started recording, and I'll just kind of run over with you guys. You have to understand what the site does to a dog. So... And I, I'll, I'm going to translate this back to the, the law enforcement side. So I've sometimes I've only got four weeks to train a dog, um, depending on somebody's putting them in a school and what they're wanting from me. And a lot of times I'm fixing problems and trying to train. If I get a green dog, and green means dog don't know hardly anything, uh, it's easier for me to get through the process because I can figure out which method to use and what he work, work, works best for the dog. And I can move on right through the training process, but tracking. And Miguel said this, he says, I never let them see. I don't do runoffs. Well, for, for me, and you bring your dog to me and say, okay, you've got four weeks, Heath to, I need, I need narcotics on this and I need this dog tracking. Well, the narcotic process, just imprinting the dog on three different odors, I can do it in two weeks, but I'd prefer to, to do each odor per week is what I like to do because the dogs learn through repetition. So anyway, now i got to do the tracking part. And some dogs, I mean, we get a whole array of dogs for tracking. Some have no interest in it. Um, some do. Some dogs are naturally uh, take off for it, and then others are not because they've been tested and they've been used in the toy, so they're back to the site thing, like Mark's saying, you know, chase the toy, chase the toy, chase the toy. So I have to do a runoff, and a runoff is where I run, the dog is on the corner of a building, and I'm out where the dog, when I run to the right, it takes me out of the dog's view. So I tease the dog, hey, hey, I'm going to take off. And I take off running, and I run out of the dog's view, and then I run around the corner of the building. They turn the dog loose. Well, the dog goes to the last place he's seen me, and he starts running circles. And he's running around frantic because he's seen me, right? And it's, we're, we're doing the same thing with the hounds. Um, we're, they're running around frantic. Well, it takes that dog, sometimes it takes them 30 seconds, sometimes it takes them minutes to calm down and start using their nose. Um, but for me, if you're bringing me a dog that I'm trying to put three different other different things on, that shortcuts the process. And when, when I say shortcuts it, it shortcuts it. It's not a solid foundation, but it's a foundation. <clears throat> and I can work with that, and I can get the dog working off of that. But I like what Miguel says. I'm going to change. This is one of the things I'm telling you. I'm going to change in my training method is I'm taking, I'm going to take the runaways away. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing it and do it a different way and see how it works out. If it gets to where I can't 
navigate through that time time frame that I'm given, then I'll tweak it or I'll go back to doing it. But back to what Mark you were saying is we're bad about showing them like you you know the cage coon or or whatever. And all you're doing is putting that dog, you're just shooting his prey drive through the roof. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a struggle for us because I guarantee you 99.9% of houndsmen, that's how they've seen it done or that's how they were shown to do it and that's what they do. And, um, you know, so for me, Chris, I, I do – or Heath, I'm sorry. Uh, I do something uh, – very similar to what you just mentioned. If, if I have a puppy that just hasn't quite flipped the switch, occasionally I may show him caged critter, but it's a very brief, very quick one-time deal. And what I found is, as you said, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it shortcuts the process and it gets them, it seems to take them to makes them a little more serious and, and gets them a little more engaged in the, in the hunt for the critter and the smell. So, so I've done that as well. And I still sometimes do it, but I pretty much, I do not rerun bears. Um, if you can't make the tree, guess what? You didn't get to go to the tree. Um, I may let puppies just walk into a tree with me just to get woods time, but I never take a dog and try to hold them up and see the critter and get it to yo-yo around. Uh, I just, I just don't do it. Um, very, very little of that and almost never see a lot of them never see any caged critter or anything. And I've been pretty fortunate. I feel on the trailing end of things, um, had a lot of, I, I guess I consider them pretty good trail dogs, whether somebody else would or not, but, um, having that trail dog is key. And if, if you can build that love of the track and not that visual stimulus, you're going to get a better percentage of trail dogs that come out of your litters. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guilty of all of what you just said. Um, you know, I've showed my, my, and I've, I've tweaked it here through the last several years. You know, I don't, I don't show my dogs a ton of game. Um, if I do have a coon or show them something like that, I cover it up. I don't let, they have to use their nose to find it. And then if they find it and do whatever, um, but I'm like you, it's, it's a brief session and it's, that's, it's a, probably a one and done. Yep. Um, and, and I do the exact, if I do that, if I choose to, I always put it in the brush and tall mm-hmm. grass and I do not, I never walk a puppy up to it. Yep. I just turn a puppy or two loose and we go for a walk and I make sure I walk them downwind of it mm-hmm. and I let them some of them all of a sudden you see it just instant that scent triggers mm-hmm. them and it seems like they they're just more focused after that and they they want to trail more but i i don't engage in a in a big coon battle or you know take them over to it and drag it around i try to just let them do it on their own if they if they have it mm-hmm. and then you know then we get into the you know and i mean i i get i mean i've done it i've done it with the the a litter you know taking the dogs into the tree. I didn't take them. They were loose and walked with me. Um, and it just worked out where I didn't have any yo-yo bears. I didn't have any, you know, in, in training season. I mean, the leaves were on, they never seen it. Uh, right. Attica started treeing on her own 
she started barking a little bit because the dogs were barking and then in december um she she actually well she made her first race yeah she made her first race in september two she made two races in one day actually and was treeing on her own um but i didn't i never i didn't rerun any bear with them and i think that's a two-part thing because and i guess there's mixed um reviews on this um and we, you know, I think we've talked about this before. I mean, some states it's not legal to do that anyway. But, you know, if you're looking at it from the training perspective, let's break it down real quick. Um, during training season, it's hot, it's humid. Most of the time your dogs have made a pretty good race. And then when you, you rerun a bear, most of the time it's getting away from them on the second time. So you're, you're really teaching yeah. that dog that, you know, to quit in my right. mind. And then on the second part of it, let's talk about the bear. Are we training, are we conditioning the bear <laughs> to come out of the trees? Yeah. I mean, yep. it's just a thought. I don't know, but, you know, um, I don't know. It's just a thought for me. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I've been guilty of that, of, you know, Man, I'm, oh, we've I'm, all done it. Yeah. Every one of us has done it. Absolutely, yeah, no I'm, doubt. I'm gonna sit here and let that pear, that that bear come out so my puppy can see it. Yeah, um, and and here's you know let's touch on a few of the things, the reasons I don't do it personally. This is just this is my opinion. Maybe it's right or wrong, but um, I learned this from some of the southern plot guys. Um, you know, bears are treated sometimes for an hour, two hours, three hours before you can get to them. Uh, you got a very intense dog. If you've been sitting there showing them coons and cages, the bear chase, the smell—they're—they're they're just wild. They're out of their skull, and you can have problems at the tree. You can have face barking. You can get tree aggression. You know, dogs trying to own the tree. Um, there's a lot of bad things that come from building up that—that that crazy tree style. The yo-yo bear up and down, dogs jumping up in the air trying to grab it, and then they're falling on dogs underneath that are trying to sit there. So those are some of the bad things that I see happen, uh, and part of the reason I stopped doing that. Yeah, no, I, that makes com complete good. I mean, that makes good sense because, I mean, that's we all, all you, all the big game hunters that are hunting multiple dogs, you know, we, that that's an always an issue that we're contending with, and. I've always contributed a lot of the tree running and tree jacking, whatever you want to call it, to seeing too much game when they were younger. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't have, yeah, none of mine right now, knock on wood. I have a climber, but the rest of them, they're not, they're not, they may be sitting at the bottom of the tree bouncing, but they're not, they're not tree jacking. They're not going run, you know, running up and down the tree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there. And I think that's probably a good advice for people is just don't do it. And, and, and that's part of that visual, you know, you think you're helping your dog, but in, in the end, I think we're actually hurting ourselves more than we're helping ourselves. So, uh, just something to think about. And that's, just my personal experience anyways well it's it's a it's a it's a man-made problem that we blame the dogs for i mean really right. it is it's right. always the dog the dog's fault but it's it's probably something if we look back in our training or back in 
in the way that we hunted or our what we did, it was probably us that done it. Oh, think of how many times we've stood there, picked a stick up, banged on the tree, get him to woof it, you <laughs> run up and down the tree. Mm-hmm. Dogs start jumping in the air as he's coming down the tree. What are we what are we doing? We're creating horrible habits yes. right there. Every one of us has done it. Yep. I've done it. Yep. Done it multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, we're all guilty. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm guilty. And I but one thing that, you know, take away from this, um, before we wrap it up here. I'm going to try my best, and I know in the law enforcement side that I don't want my dog using his eyes. I want him using his nose. Um, I see the overstimulation that the visual part of it causes. Um, and I, I mean, real, I mean, real quick. I mean, if my dog's tracking and he's getting a bite every time on the end of the track, I mean, he's getting overstimulated and in reality, only two or three percent of my tracks will ever end in apprehension. They're not going to end in a, in a bite every time. And I've just worked that dog up to he self rewards. <clears throat> There's been several incidents where dogs have just grabbed whoever they they went around the corner of a building. Somebody standing there and they, they yanked them um, because that's what they they got tired and they wanted to reward themselves. But uh, I'm going to really try hard not to. Um, take some of the visual stuff away that I've been doing, just like we talked about that I'm causing. Um, the last couple years, I've done better unknowingly, not on purpose, but I've just changed my techniques a little bit or my training a little bit. Uh, but after talking to Miguel and listening to his method, um, I'm really going to pay attention to that and try to steer clear of it unless unless I have that one dog that I need to prime, and then at, at that rate, I will still do it um, cautiously. Very sparingly. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, you know, the the part that I really like about Miguel's process, and it's really, really simple when you break it down, is building the love of the track. And just like you were talking about the dog rewarding itself, runs around the corner, bites the first person standing there. Well, that dog didn't slow down to smell and it never because you were doing runoffs and you had it all jacked up whereas if you have built the love of the track into that dog that dog is going to be he's going to use his brains more he's going to think more he's following the track he's not just running there to have the fight with the critter Mm -hmm. and and when you get in a tough trailing position say you cross a big dead water or something that we have these dead waters here that they might be 100 200 yards wide the dog that's smart and has the love of the track is going to swim that and he's going to hunt the shore on the other side and part of that's experience Um, but the dog that doesn't have the love of the track and the dog that just wants the visual wants to have the fight he turns around at the water and comes back he's like take me somewhere else so building that love of that track is what's going to get you that trail dog that will push on. And, and I believe the really good trail dogs that I've seen, they, they almost never stop impressing you. Even at eight, nine years old, they'll do things that you think, Oh my goodness. Um, I I just, you can't believe it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, something that I do, um, you know, this, this is how I've, help some of my dogs i say help them trail on the really bad tough years when and we have it every year is there's a some point in the season 
where the bears are traveling unmerciful distances. It, even a two hour old track might be 12 miles away. Um, it's, it's, it happens every year. So a lot of guys are going home with no bears and we've been lucky enough that every year like that, we're still killing bears. And, uh, I will take, and I'll watch that dog's actions and, you know, I'm staying, I'll walk into the bait site. I don't say anything. I don't engage with the dog. I don't talk to the dog. I don't do anything. I just observe the dog. And when I see the dog, you'll see when they find scent, whether they wiggle their tail a certain way, maybe they don't even open, but their nose sucks to the ground and they make a loop around and they come back to the same spot. When I've seen a dog that hits that same spot with the same reaction five or six times in a row, what I'll do is I'll go over there and I'll sit down on a rock. I don't engage with the dog. I just let the dog do its thing. But sometimes your presence there, the dog thinks, okay, you know, I'm not going back to the truck. Whereas if you're sitting out at the truck, letting the dog do this on his own, he gives up, comes back. But if just your presence being there, he sticks with it. And all of a sudden you'll see 20 yards further, the same phenomenon happens. There's a spot where he's had scent. And I'll go and I'll sit. And oftentimes I've only had to do that for maybe 60 or 70 yards. And then they get locked on it. And then you just go back to the truck and it's awesome. I mean, I, I've seen dogs trail 17 miles on a bear track. And there was no bears out. And it was the same bear that was on the camera. Had a big white V and, uh, and they, they bait him up, jumped him and bait him. And I mean, it was incredible. Wind conditions dry as could be. Uh, but once they locked on that track, but it took me going in there and sitting with them for a little bit to get them to lock on it and go. So sometimes you can help your dog a little bit, but you're not, you're not trying to show them the way you're just, you're for me, my presence there sometimes gets that dog to, to stick it out a little bit more, but I don't like to help the dog and say, here, come get it right here, here, here. I don't do that. Yes, I like no. just, just my presence sitting on a rock there sometimes is all it takes. Yeah, and I never really thought about that, but you know, of course, I mean y'all y'all get to hunt off of baits and we don't, but um, yeah, I mean just being there. Yeah, well, yep. I mean Dad's here, so I might as well I might as well stick stick it out. If he's at the truck, then well, yeah. I just go back to the truck. I don't have to. Yeah, it makes sense. I've seen it dozens of times with guys, and and you know. This is part of, if you want a trail dog, you got to have patience. Mm -hmm. And and I've hunted with dozens of people, and this is no fault of theirs. Um, you know, they're just, they're impatient. And they'll drop that dog at the bait. The dog goes in there, makes his loop around, checks the bear trails, comes back out. Nothing. Okay, we go on to the next one. Well, me, I'm like, you know, we run cameras on most of these baits. I'm like, I know there was a bear there. Yeah, it was 17 hours old, but... I know there was a bear there and we've checked 20 cameras and there's no other bear. So guess what? I'm going to go sit there on a rock and I'm going to hang out and, and I've done it for two or three hours. Um, and all of a sudden, boom, you got a, a bear dog. And once they, once they have that success trailing like that, they never look back. They just mm -hmm. keep on, they'll do it on their own, but sometimes getting them, over those humps that's just reading each individual dog uh kind of seeing what they need but i'm i'm not one to help them but sometimes just you've got to kind of set them up for success even an older dog you know 
set them up for success. Don't just throw them in the truck and go to another bait because you're impatient. That's not teaching them to trail. Mm-mm. The only way he's going to learn to trail is by you sticking it out. And sometimes that means you got to go in there a little bit. Yeah. No, I, that's, yeah, that's, um, I think we could all use a dose of patience. Um, and that's one thing that I've learned over time, you know, especially I think, again, I revert back to the law enforcement side of it. It, that has taught me patience in the hound world because I see, um, all dogs don't work the same. They don't mature the same. I learned all that stuff in that side of it, even though it was in front of my face in the hound world. And I'm okay with failure now. Like, yeah, I want to catch bear and I want to be successful, but I also understand that it's part of the process. I, I'll just tell you, you know, there was, um, there was a couple of years ago, there was a year, there was two outfitters above us, uh, our lease. We have leases here in Maine and our bear lease. So the bears were barely active. There was only one or two tracks and the bears were roaming crazy distances and they were hitting it um, maybe six or seven in the evening, you know, and the, the guys up above us, they ran coyotes and fishers and th- mm-hmm. their hunters all left. They went home. They went, they'd gone and done. We killed some days we killed two bears a day and we killed a bear every single day for a week and a half. We even killed them. They said, well, if you start one on your lease and it goes up on ours, we're all done. So kill it. We were killing bears right there on their lease because we had a trail dog and uh, it took that patience, but man, that's a good feeling when you've Mm -hmm. got a trail dog that, that you can go in behind people and everybody else has given up. That's fun. That to me is where it's at. Yes. Yeah. I, I, 100% 100% agree. <clears throat> so, Mark, we've probably bored people to death by this point, so let's wrap it up here. I want to, um, I just want to hit on two things. So one of my buddies asked me, he was like, well, why haven't you been doing this all the time? So I got to thinking about it, and I, I'm like, well, I kind of have been. Um, you know, I just talked about back when in the 2000s when I had my blue dogs, and I used to lay drags all the time. Like I said, that's when... Um, I had got that information from Mike Leonard and I was using the the paint roller on a broomstick and I used to do that a lot uh, back then. The difference is my dogs were 10, 12, 14 months old. They weren't six weeks old, eight weeks old, 10 weeks old. Um, So this process just um, starts them earlier using the imprinting method, which is putting odor with food, um, that then that was part of the process that I had skipped and just have, I haven't done it in a while. Um, again, you know, life and circumstances and things happen and whatever, I had just kind of gotten away from it. But so the last, so I've been doing this probably for four weeks now, maybe a month. Yeah, maybe a month, maybe a little over a month. Um, man, I mean, it's brought some joy back to me just watching the dogs learn the process. Um, you know, the five month old, like she's amazing me with some of the stuff that she's doing, you know, the three puppies that I got here, like I can already tell you, I've got one that cuts and slashes, man. She, she'll cut those corners. Um, she picks up a lose. 
I've got another one that um, that keeps her nose down a little tighter to the ground. She don't make the loses the other one makes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can already see that, and these pups are three months old, twelve weeks old. Um, so it's kind of it's been exciting for me. Um, it's brought some excitement back. So yeah, I have been doing it, and I want to reiterate this, guys: don't overdo it. Don't make it so complicated the dogs can't succeed. And if they don't succeed, just back it down a notch and do it again. Give them time to reset. Give them another day. Um, there's nothing wrong with, uh, and, and my pups have done this, so I'll give you a quick example. They was unsuccessful on a track. We had really high winds that day. <clears throat> I mean, they were over 15, it was 12 to 15 miles an hour. My house sits up on kind, kind of like a top of a hill, um, and I had laid the track out the top and um the dogs were chasing odor like they were all over the place couldn't figure it out um the odor wasn't laying on the ground so i give them about 10 minutes to figure this out they did not no big deal they went about their business when they weren't looking i went and picked the food up and two hours later right before dark i whistle they come running i set the food down and i feed them so the next day I took it out, the wind was not blowing 10, 12, 15 miles an hour. I shortened it up just a tad to build the confidence, and man, they slammed it. And I, it was only a 30, I think I was at 30 minutes at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so just don't make it too hard. Don't be afraid if they fail. If they fail, you know, it's okay to feed them, doing what you're doing, and go back after it the next day and make it, make it winnable for them. So that's the things that I wanted to reiterate. Um, like I said, this is this is definitely something that I will be sticking with f- on my next letters and my next letters because, like I said, it's brought it's brought some excitement back to me um, watching these dogs do what they're doing. Mark, anything you want to add? Yeah, the just a couple of things. Um, like you said, you know, one thing a lot of guys always wonder. Uh, do all hounds smell the same? You know, they all have the same nose. You know, uh, I still can't answer that. But what I have seen myself is certain dogs, the way they react to scent. And by this method, I believe you can watch those puppies and, and you can pick the ones that react the way you want to the scent and work with those. And because, you know, let's face it, we're not, most of us are not going to keep eight puppies out of a litter. We're going to have to keep one or two. So if, if you can use this method, use even just a piece of it to help you in your selection. You're going to improve. There's so many pluses. You're going to improve the recall. You're going to improve trailing, uh, handling. Uh, you know, you don't have to follow every single step exactly like Miguel does it. Um, it's a little different for us, but there's a lot of great stuff in there. And if you, you know, if you listen to it again, um, you know, just like you had mentioned, Heath, the, uh, the dogs that cut and slash the track and then the ones that are the track straddlers nose to the ground. Well, guess what? If you prefer a certain kind of puppy trail dog, um, pick the one that suits you, you mm-hmm. know, and, and move on, you know, the, the, that one that cuts and slashes, it's probably going to drift a track. It's probably going to be a fast dog on a track. The track straddler is probably going to be slower, but when everybody screws it all up, 
here comes the track straddler right through the middle. So I have one of each in my pack. Mm -hmm. I like both of them depending on the situation because the track straddler will always show me where the bear step, where he barks is where the bear put its foot. And I can always go back and restart. And then that, you know, that cut and slasher, I mean, you got to love them. They, they're drifting a track 50 yards away. They're cutting corners. They're never out of pocket and they're catching bears, even mm -hmm. the little runners. So, you know, use these methods. Um, you don't have to do everything exactly the same, but there's a lot of pieces you can take from it that I think will really help you on your quest for building a trail dog or selecting the puppy that suits you best, suits your style of hunting. And no matter what, they're going to get better. They're going to be better trail dogs for putting the time into them. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I want to go back and, I mean, we could go on and on and on in this. And I know I got to, I got to cut it, but so the five month old sass, one of the things that amazes me with her is the, the last track we did, like well, it was an hour and five minutes. It was out in a field and field does not collect a lot of odor. If you guys understand how odor works, um, track was an hour and five minutes, 88 degrees humidity. It was, I, I know, it was, no, that, that day it was not, it was 80 degrees out that evening. Um, I started it here in the yard. We went up through the, around the garden, up the driveway, through a fence, um, up into the horse field, made a big loop. So it was about 400, 400 yard track. Her, this is what amazed me, her determination. She never quit. Like she stayed after it. Even when she would make a lose, she would start, you could start seeing her work the, um, the scent cone, which, you know, means she's, she's drifting back and forth, trying to pick up where the odor was at. She would make circles on the loses. Um, when it got really tough in a couple places, she was sticking her nose plumb down in the ground. Like, and I mean like in the dirt and then she just kept with it. Um, that's what has amazed me about the, the whole, the process itself is, you know, she was going to eat like she was going to eat that day she worked out about a 400 yard track. You know, it was 80 degrees when I laid it. Um, it was an hour, hour later. So I, I think I wrote it down. It was 78 degrees, I guess, when she ran it. Um, it was in the evening. But anyway, just the determination on these little dogs. Like, holy crap, man. You know, when she turns four years old, she ought to be what you're saying. She ought to be trailing those 17 mile tracks and, and catching it. Um, that's that's the fun i mean you know any anybody that's really into it for the hounds <clears throat> loves to watch young dogs and you know this is a process you can see so many wonderful things in those puppies and and you know if you have a breeding program it can help you make choices on what you're doing and man maybe this isn't working there if you want a certain style you're going to see it you know everybody else is waiting until four or five years to see it well you're seeing it by six months old, you're like, oh, I got what I want right there. Well, maybe I need to tweak it a little bit and go a little different direction. But, you know, you're seeing stuff, and, and it's so much fun. And, and anytime you're having fun, the dog's having fun because you're having fun. It's it's reading your emotion. It's reading your body language, and it's, it's going to be a win-win for both of you. You know, we're doing this because we love it. And if you're frustrated all the time with your training and your dog that won't run bear scent, then then you got to slow down and, and do something about it. 
put that time in. And I think Miguel has a great method building that love of the scent, love of the track. Yep. Well, like I said, I, I like it. I'm going to continue to do it. And I hope everybody listening, um, that puts it, that puts this into practice, um, are getting the results that they, that they need or want. Um, and like I said, genetics play a big part in that too. Like Mark, Mark said, you know, your breeding program, you know, genetics, uh, are going to make you or break you too. So, all right, Mark, I appreciate you coming on me, tying up all, tying you up all evening. I think me and you could probably go on about this subject for another two hours. I feel like we just scratched the surface. (laughs) We have. Yes, we have. Well, we'll. Thanks for having me, Heath. I really, I had fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you messaging me and, um, like I said, talking about, like I, I've got numerous questions and I'm hoping I hit everybody's questions. Um, it's a fairly simple process. If you just, Think about it. Take your time. Don't get in a rush. That's another thing. Don't get in a rush. Just take your time one step at a time. And Miguel says it. You have to do it one step, two step, three step. If you start skipping these steps, then you're not going to get the results and you're probably going to get frustrated and aggravated and not be happy with the results. So, ABCs, you got to learn them in order. You don't go A, Z, D. I mean, you learn them in order. So, If you want to learn it right, learn it in order. That's right. All right, Mark. Thank you for your time. And thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn. Thank you.